Hey there, and welcome back to everybody in listener land. This is the Noggin Notes podcast. It's episode number 47, and I am your host, Jake Wiskirchen. I have been accused of being a licensed marriage and family therapist in the state of Nevada and a national certified counselor in the United States. Noggin Notes is, as we claim, the world's only podcast that aims to educate and enrich your noggin on matters of mental wellness, mental illness, spiritual affiliation, emotional growth and development, and all other matters of psychology and mental health. And uh, it's probably not the only podcast that aims to do that. It's just the only podcast that aims to do that while being recorded in a garage or a church or sometimes in the cab of my truck or sometimes in my office or sometimes in the basement of my office. It just really depends on where I can find a, a nice quiet space to do it. But this one happens to be filmed, or filmed, we're not filming, we're recording audio. This one happens to be recorded upstairs in the loft of my church because it happens to be nice and quiet, except for the preschool that's downstairs. So if you happen to hear little children's voices shrieking in from the background, that's because they are doing their recess time, and that's what that is. So there's nothing weird going on. There aren't like mice crawling in and <laughs> squeaking in the, in the microphone or anything. It's it's little kids, and it's wonderful. It's actually a really delightful place to be. We uh, we host a, a preschool out of, out of my church, and Upstairs is often quiet, uh, but sometimes on days like today, it's a little loud. So, forgive the background noise. It's uh, you know, it's not a professional recording studio. It's just me talking into a speaker. Uh, I guess you can't talk into a speaker. I'm talking into a microphone into a box that is stuffed full of acoustic material, so that it uh, sounds professional. But uh, you know, you get what you pay for. It's free co- free podcast, and I'm on a limited budget, so this is what I have to work with. But today's podcast is about anxiety, and it's in response to several emails and contacts and text messages and just offhanded conversations that I've had with friends asking me to do a podcast about anxiety. And one of them I talked to said, you know, you should do this, and I'm disappointed I went scrolling through all the podcasts to try to find one on anxiety. And my response to him was, you know, frankly, I just didn't want to do anxiety because I believe that everybody and their mother had done anxiety at some point, and I just... I just thought there was no real meaning or purpose to it. And his response was very kind. He said, I think that's exactly why you should do it, because I think that your take on things is a little bit different and uh, um, a little bit fresher than some other people's. And plus, you tend to give some feedback that doesn't simply identify the problem and explain where it comes from, but you actually give solutions. So I I appreciate that feedback, and I, I thank him for that. And So I've been kicking this idea around about how exactly to address anxiety because it's a big, giant, broad topic, and I think I'm just going to dive right in with no real construct or uh, um, format. I'm just going to start talking loosely about it, and if something strikes you, then great. If you can use it, that's awesome. Uh, If you get nothing out of this, then feel free to delete the episode and uh, wait till next week and you can download another one. So I'm pretty non-attached to it. Um, anyway, if you've listened to this for any length of time or if you've uh, watched the, the, the Zephyr Wellness YouTube videos, you'll have heard me probably at some point or another say that generically speaking, anxiety is when we fixate our thoughts on something in the future that we cannot do anything about because it's not here yet. And depression is when we fixate our thoughts on something in the past that we can't do anything about because it's already done. It's over with. It's gone. So... The idea then to alleviate both anxiety and depression is to be in the present moment. Whatever's happening right now, you want to deal with that and and live your life as it's occurring, not in anticipation before it occurs because that that pulls you out of the present moment and you end up missing out on your life. So 
again, this very generic, very broad, loose definition of anxiety is when we fixate our thoughts. And, and, I, and that's really key. You have to fixate your thoughts on something in the future, as in like you think about it and you just um, you zone in and you don't let go and you don't move off it. So if you're having anxiety and you're struggling with this, this issue, it's probably because you're worried about something that has yet to occur. And I've been doing this long enough to know that whenever I have this conversation, I explain that point, heads are nodding. And so if you find yourself nodding in agreement along with me, I appreciate that. Thank you. That means I'm not too far off course, but I'm not reading your mind. It's just that I've, I just know that generally people respond well to that description of it. Now, that's not to say that that's everybody's struggle. Sometimes people aren't aware of where their anxiety comes from. Sometimes it seems like it just strikes them from out of the blue. And I can tell you that psychological disorders are not some sort of weird um, mental chicken pox that suddenly descends from, you know, the air and strikes them. It's like, oh, no, my depression is back. You know, it's, I, I can't do anything about it. Now I'm stricken with it. It doesn't work like that. Um, we absolutely do have control over where we fixate our thoughts or our attention. Or I shouldn't say fixate because it's a little too rigid, but where we direct our attention and our thoughts because those thoughts can then influence our feelings and then our feelings can influence our moods and so on and so forth. So I, I understand that there's some disagreement in the community about that hypothesis that I threw out there that, that we have control over this stuff. And, I, and that's fine. And you feel free to disagree with it. I just believe that we have control over what we do and how, how we, uh, our moods fluctuate and how we influence them by where we direct our attention. And I have to believe that because if I don't believe that we have any control over this, then we're sunk. Then there's no, no reason for me to continue practicing because can't change it. And I, I just fundamentally don't believe that. So in my experience, uh, my understanding of uh, how people recover is that they, they gain an awareness, they then gain control, and then they can choose whether or not they indulge the anxious thinking or the anxious mood or the depressive mood or the mania or whatever it is that they're dealing with, uh, all the way up to psychosis. So if you can become aware of, of the symptoms, you can often trace it back to a root cause and then control that root cause. So let's take a few examples. Uh, one might be a low-level anxiety about uh, just a nervousness or restlessness. And maybe uh, sitting still, you may be overwhelmed because there's a, no a ton of work to do. So overwhelmed as a word is not a feeling. Some people say, I feel overwhelmed. And I would caution against using the word feel because it's neither an emotion nor is it a physiological sensation. It's not, it's not hot, cold, hungry, tired. Uh, you don't have to go pee. Uh, so overwhelmed is none of those things. What it is is an experience. And experiences or interpretations or ideas or beliefs are all very, very individualized. So I can say that I'm, I'm experiencing being overwhelmed or I have the sense that I'm overwhelmed because I have so much work to do tomorrow. Well, let's, let's break this apart a little bit. Tomorrow is in the future or tonight or this afternoon or the due date. The due date, unless it's right right now, like immediately right now, then you know, I'm already, I'm already, I've already blown it. I'm past the due date. But the due date is something in the future. So if I'm trying to cram in this work into this time frame between now and the due date, I can make an interpretation that either gives me anxiety or gives me peace. So I can look at that work and say, I can do this. I have enough time, and that's a belief. I get to choose whether or not I believe I can do it. Or I can say, I can't do this. I'm overwhelmed. All is lost, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I can, I can catastrophize as much as I'd like to if I want to. That's up to me. That's my choice. It's my choice on how I interpret my own sense of what's, what is and is not overwhelming. 
if we rewind a little bit back to the present moment, all I can do in a present moment is do one thing at a time. There is no such thing as multitasking. All we can do is many things uh, back and forth that all command our attention at one individual moment or another that we can't really truly multitask. If I were chewing gum right now, and I don't because I've found that chewing gum and talking into a microphone is not make for good audio. But if I were chewing gum, I can only direct my attention at one point or another onto the gum chewing or onto my speaking or onto, you can't see it, but I'm moving my hands mostly because I come from an Italian upbringing. But I can only really focus on one or one of those things at, at a time. And then I go back and forth among them very, very quickly. But there is no such thing as multitasking. So if I can prioritize, and again, we can't have multiple number one priorities. I think a lot of people's anxiety stems from believing that everything is a number one priority. And it's, it's just fundamentally not true. You can only have one number one priority at a time. And that number one priority is wherever your attention is at that moment. Um, you can have many things on your mind. But I encourage you to prioritize one through however many there are and just do one and then the next one and then the next one fully to their completion or at least to the completion that you're, you're able to attain at that moment. So let's go back to the overwhelmed. I have a, a set of work to do in a period of time and there's a due date. If I don't want to have anxiety about that, that that's crippling and doesn't allow me to, to, to do anything, and I know there's, there's phraseology out there like, you know, uh, paralysis through analysis or, you know, stuff like that where you get paralyzed trying to figure out where to start. Start somewhere. Start anywhere. It doesn't matter. Even if you have trouble prioritizing, just pick one thing. It doesn't matter whether it's the email that needs to be responded to, the paper that's due, the budget that needs to be performed, the child that needs to be fed. Um, the glass of water that needs to be refilled. I mean, all, I know this because I, I experience it, and I think we all experience this from time to time, that you can have so many things going on that, that you just go, and you freeze, and you, and you kind of almost have a mental short circuit. That's anxiety. That's fine, and everybody experiences it. What we don't want is anxiety to the point of uh, crippling ourselves so that we just go, you know, screw it, I'm just going to turn to Instagram and, and kill 15 minutes. Well, that's 15 minutes that could have been spent Responding to the email, writing the paper, filling your glass of water, feeding your kid, doing the budget, whatever it is that needs to be done. So I, I encourage people to notice and take note that they have choice over whether or not they spend their time and attention on one thing or multiple things or being overwhelmed or being anxious or, or just getting it done. And oftentimes if you chew through that stuff and get it done, the anxiety goes away. So let's go back to, again to that, that prioritization and we'll, we'll use those five things I listed off. If I choose one, I really want to commit to it uh, and then do it until it's completed. Then that's that's one less thing that I have to do. So if I just want to sit down and do my email, I don't. I, I want to indulge the email completely. I want to. I want to involve myself in it, and I don't want to have some sort of strange guilt about. Oh no, this email would be so much easier to do if I had my glass of water full again. I get to pick. I pick email or I pick water. Now, if water is more important because my throat's dry and I just it's distracting me from the email, then go fill my water and then come back and then be at peace. And I think a lot of people have anxiety on top of anxiety because they're worried about the worry, if if you will, and that will in and of itself paralyze somebody from from being able to do something. So you might go fill the glass of water, feed the kid, and then the whole time you're thinking, "Geez, I really should be doing that email instead of feeding my my child because my wife can feed my child." and uh, I didn't really need the glass of water. Well, don't do that. That's that's just just be mindful of that and don't do that. Don't don't self guilt into thinking you should have spent your time elsewhere. As long as you're getting something done, you're getting something done, and that will alleviate the anxiety. So in that in that context, we also want to acknowledge that there's a a spectrum of anxiety. 
There's low anxiety that's, that's more or less healthy anxiety that says, geez, I really need to get this done because there's a deadline looming and things matter. They hinge on this deadline. That's good. It's motivating. Athletes will use healthy anxiety to study tape of themselves or of their opponents because they don't want to perform poorly in the field of, of play. And that's fine. If you don't want to perform poorly, that's a healthy anxiety that forces you into the film room or to go into the batting cage or, you know, go run some bleachers or, you know, go to the gym or whatever it is that you need to do. That's fine. Unhealthy anxiety goes on to the other end of the spectrum where you get so overwhelmed that you can't focus at all. Uh, You have a series of number one priorities. You get uh, vapor locked and short circuit your brain. You can't focus. And that's when we end up with results like projects don't get done. Children don't get fed. Uh, glasses of water don't get full, and then we get dehydrated. Or in sports, you you strike out because you're you're overthinking whether or not the, a fastball or a curveball is coming. When really all you need to do is pick a zone of the strike zone where the pitch might be. Um, you know, overstudying is not really a thing. You want to study as much as you can so that you have information. But then eventually you want to pick something. And an analogy for this is that I think really brings it home is. You can have many options on two floors of a, of a two-story mall. Picture yourself on, on story number one, looking at the escalator and saying, geez, I really like it down here on, on the first floor. Uh, there's Wetzel's pretzels and there's a Sbarro and I might need to eat you know, in a minute. Um, and I really like uh, shopping at the Gap. But man, upstairs has Sunglass Hut and, uh, and there's, there's a different department store altogether. And I, I really would like to go you know, up the, the, the escalator, but geez, I, I also want to, I want to hang out down here, uh, and, and experience all that the first floor has to offer. That is something called ambivalence and ambivalence can absolutely breed anxiety as well. You're worried that the decision you're about to make will somehow cost you in, uh, some, some fashion or another. Well, while you're standing there contemplating whether to stay on the first floor or go up the escalator, somebody is inevitably going to come by and bump you. And then you're on your way up anyway. And what I would invite people to do is make that decision for themselves. Choose for yourself whether or not you're going to stay on the first floor and walk down the, down the hall toward uh, you know Gap or whatever, or affirmatively step onto that escalator and then guilt-free, anxiety-free, don't worry about anything, just keep riding it up all the way to the top, to the department store, wherever you have to go, Sunglass Hut. And then you've owned your decision. And owning a decision will absolutely alleviate anxiety. So that's, that's one type of anxiety where you're overwhelmed with choices, you're overwhelmed with priorities, and, uh, and that may, may help uh, some, pe- some people move through that. Another type of anxiety that I want to touch on is simply having racing thoughts. So um, a lot of people struggle with this when they go to bed at night. They, uh, they can't control their thoughts. They've got these intrusive thoughts. And, and again, if we go back to our analogy of uh, very loosely speaking, anxiety is when you fixate your thoughts on something in the future that you, you, you can't do anything about because it's not here yet. If you're in bed, we're reasonably assuming that bedtime is nighttime. Nighttime, most things are closed. You can't get much done. Other people are sleeping, so you can't make a lot of noise. So if you're having racing thoughts about uh, the dishwasher needing to be unloaded, but it's running and it's going to be an hour and a half before it ends, or I need to mow the lawn, well, that's noisy. It's nighttime, and I can't see any way to to mow the lawn. Or, geez, I need to do the laundry or pay the taxes or – uh, go shopping or, you know, well, the store's closed because it's nighttime. And, um, you know, there's, there's things that you can do at night to alleviate some of that anxiety, but there's other things that you, you also cannot do. And these, these thoughts will intrude and they'll, they'll distract you from whatever you need to do at that moment. And, and I totally get that. And that also is absolutely a hundred percent within our control. So long as we notice it and we believe that it's in our control, the thoughts coming into our heads, 
usually can't do much about that. Um, things will come out at us through the day. Triggers will happen. Memories will surface. A song will come on the air. A smell will waft through our nostrils and it'll remind us of stuff. But what we don't want to do is hand over our power to those thoughts as though they're inorganic and there's nothing we can do about them. They're not, they're not planted there by some alien force that you can't control. They're not some psychological chicken pox that descends into your mind and, and infects you and you can't get rid of it. They're absolutely within your control if you notice it. So if I notice that my thoughts are racing and I'm considering all these things that I can't do anything about because they're not here yet um, or the store isn't open or the sun isn't up or whatever, what I want to do is I want to make peace with that. I want, to, I want to embrace that and let it go. One technique that I suggest is writing all of those thoughts down. And this has helped uh, several people over the, the last many years that I've been doing this. Write down everything, 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 all 35 or 200 of them or whatever it is until they're all out. And then you look at that paper and you go, this will be here in the morning. And you set it on the nightstand and you know what? It will be there in the morning. It'll still be there. And in between, you can get nice restful sleep rather than tossing and turning Worrying about the thing you can't do anything about anyway because it's dark and stores are closed and so on and so forth. Now, if you absolutely must, get up, check the email, unload the dishwasher, whatever it is, and that will actually, you know, actually help you go to sleep, go ahead and do it. That's fine. But at some point, you have to acknowledge that sleep matters and you have to rest. And if it happens to you in the middle of the day, one technique that I suggest is simply to replace those thoughts with something else. So if we think of anxiety as a fear-based mood, and it comes from, from fear, you're worried about something, you're apprehensive, you're, you're considering these things that have yet to happen, well, you can replace the thoughts that are triggering that fear with something that pulls you completely out of your limbic system, where, where the, the emotions come from, and into your cognitive. And I'm stealing this idea from my friend, uh, Dr. Jim Jobin. Jim Jobin is down in Las Vegas, and he runs a wonderful podcast named Pod Therapy with his uh, good friend and colleague, Nick Tangerman. I highly recommend you check them out because they're amazing. Uh, Jim, who has struggled with anxiety in the past, he says he just starts counting things. And so he'll look up at the ceiling, and I'm sitting in the, the room here, and I'm looking up, and there's a bunch of acoustic tiles on the ceiling. I'd start counting them, and i go 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 across, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 14 down. I might multiply that. Suddenly, in my mind, there's no room for the intrusive thoughts because I purposely focused my attention on counting. Counting is a very cognitive activity. Um, so counting works really well for him. He'll start counting things. Another thing you might start doing is playing catch. You can play catch with anything. It doesn't even require a partner. You can grab a pen and toss it in the air and catch it and toss it in the air and catch it. And what that does is it pulls your attention so much toward catching the pen that there's no room for the, the laundry, the, the, uh, you know, the, the errand you have to run, the email you have to send. You just, you're just watching the pen. So that'll absolutely help the anxiety as well because you've taken control of your thoughts. They're no longer intrusive and they're no longer involuntary. They're purposeful and they're intentional. And once you've dialed down your limbic brain where the anxiety is flaring and pulled yourself into the co cognitive zone where your thinking, reason, rationality live – then what you've done is, is you've given yourself the power and the control to direct where you're going to put your attention next. So that's the second type of anxiety is the, is the, is the racing thoughts, the intrusive thoughts. Now, another one that, uh, that seems to, to plague a lot of people is just this low-level, like, um, antsiness. And, uh, and it, just, it's just, it just doesn't serve any purpose. It just kind of drains energy. And if, if you know what I'm talking about, then you know. But if you don't know... That's fine, too. You can just tune this section out if you want. But um, there's no specific 
trigger necessarily. And some people just go, I worry a lot. I just, I don't know about what I just, I just, I'm just, you know, restless and I'm keyed up and I'm, and I'm on edge and you know, I'm just, I don't know why I can't, I can't pinpoint it. It's not this list of overwhelming tasks that I have to do. It's not necessarily a bunch of racing thoughts about things. It's not about people. I don't worry. It's just, it's just kind of there. I, I just, I just get this sense that I'm, I'm on edge. Great. To that, I would suggest exercise. Exercise tends to do a lot of stuff to our bodies chemically. It, it releases endorphins. It, um, it washes out cortisol from the brain. It, um, re- it provides adrenaline, which, which again provides a flushing mechanism for a lot of the, the stuff that's rolling around in your cells. And, and on a very, very um, low, believe me, this is a very rudimentary discussion of neurology, but what happens is cortisol is a stress chemical that, that gets exuded from the brain to alert us to things that need to be done. It's, it's largely accompanied with anxiety. So if you have a bunch of cortisol and you don't flush it out of your system with exercise, which raises heart rate, raises adrenaline, um, it pushes, it pushes your, your fluids through your system a little faster and you, you end up essentially cleaning your body out, um, with more, uh, more quickly than it normally would. If you can, if you don't do that, that cortisol can actually act as a toxin in your body. It will poison you, and and it will also leave a residue psychologically that that says, "Be on edge, be worried, be keyed up." Even in times of peace and tranquility, you will have this uh, resting anxiety, if you will, that doesn't make any sense because the environment itself is not triggering it. What's happened is you've conditioned your mind to think that you should always be on edge. And a lot of people coming back from combat will have this because if they've been in a combat zone and they're constantly on edge, they're constantly, you know, sometimes in like law enforcement and and the military, we'll use the phrase, uh, you know, green, yellow, red. Um, And somebody will say, you're always in the yellow, no matter what, you're never really at green because you're always looking for threats. Well, if you're in combat, you're really more like orange or red. And if you're constantly in the orange or red, what that might look like is, you know, if, uh, if you're on patrol and you're scanning roof, rooftops for snipers or something, you do this for three months straight or six months or nine months while you're deployed. And then you come back and now you're back in, in town where you live and there's no, there's no snipers on rooftops. There's no, uh, imp- you know, improvised explosive devices or IEDs set to go off around your vehicle. What you can't do is necessarily turn that off because your brain is now adjusted to a new baseline of high anxiety. And we don't have to be in a combat zone to experience this. We could just simply be in a stressful work environment or a stressful family environment. And this is where, as even as adults, we can carry this for, for many, many years into our regular lives such that when we come into an environment where peace is occurring or tranquility is present, we don't know how to deal with it because our brains have been rewired. Now, the good news is we can rewire them. And what, we, what that takes is mindfulness and awareness to know that you can put yourself at peace. And there are techniques that I won't go into here because they take too much time to practice, but meditation, prayer, um, uh, being outdoors, uh, allowing yourself the vulnerability to let the stuff go, you know, cry if you need to. Journaling is another great technique. Uh, just writing down, just dumping whatever's on your mind. And it requires an honesty and it requires a letting go so that you're not so keyed up all the time. So physiologically, you can, you can shift your brain in a different direction away from where it's pumping all the cortisol that keeps you keyed up and on edge. And, um, 
you can also go work out and exercise to, to flush that from your body. If you're, if you're working a high stress job, definitely go work out after work, uh, to, to get rid of it. You can listen to music. You can sing along with music, anything that decompresses, uh, and then mentally, psychologically, not, you know, not, not related to the physical chemicals, but psychologically practice the habit of peace, practice the habit of gratitude. For example, on the, on the Noggin Notes app, you see the gratitude bar, you click on that and, and you're logging things for which you're grateful and that, and it's impossible to be uh, unhappy or, or negative or bitter or resentful if you're thankful. And so you can practice gratitude. You can practice um, giving forgiveness. You can practice grace. You can practice humility and all those things will eventually come to replace the anxiety that you're feeling for, you know, what, what seems to be no apparent reason. And, and if you practice long enough and, and well enough with good intentionality, eventually you'll find yourself at a, at a more peaceful level. So at least, you know, if you're returning from combat or you're returning from the stressful job, or you've, you've left and moved away from your family and you, or you've divorced the, the unpleasant spouse who is causing you stress and anxiety, you can, you no longer have to live in that yellow, orange, or red zone. You can bring yourself back down to, to green, if you will. So, um, that's, that's my overview of anxiety. I hope it helped somebody. We again, encourage you to write in and I'll try my best to answer the emails as they come in. Info at ZephyrWellness.org is one way. Info at NogginNotes.com is the other way. And, um, you know, if, if you're, uh, if you're looking for more of this stuff, like I said, check out pod therapy. Uh, it's, uh, they've got a Twitter and an Instagram and a Facebook and, um, they do, they just do a really, really good show. It's, uh, it's two guys and they're both therapists and they're, they're awesome at it. So, uh, check out pod therapy and, um, and keep listening here. And if you'd like, please give us a rating and a review cause that helps drive the listenership and it helps get this stuff in the hands of people who might need it. So on behalf of the Naga Notes team and the Zephyr Wellness family, I am Jake Wiskirchen. I thank you for tuning in and listening to Naga Notes, and I wish you all great mental wellness. Bye-bye.